Welcome, weary travelers. You are just in time for the second Q&A episode. And I'm just by myself tonight, so I'm not going to introduce myself. Um, uh, yeah, so tonight I'm just going to answer real quickly uh, all of the other questions that we didn't get to in the first Q&A. Um, thank you again to everyone who submitted questions for uh, the Q&A. We had a lot of fun doing the, uh, doing the previous one, uh, but there were just a few too many questions to kind of get through and a lot of questions that only uh, I could really answer. So we decided to cut a bunch of them out um, and just kind of do a bunch of the group questions. And so now here I am by myself uh, to do uh, basically everything that's left over. Um, so I'm going to kind of go through a few general questions and then there's a big chunk of uh, world-related questions uh, that I'm going to sink my teeth into. So here we go. Uh, first question, uh, did any of New Zealand culture and folklore make its way into influencing the creation of Iennis? Honestly, not that I'm consciously aware of, but I'm sure that uh, something about New Zealand culture has come into uh, has come into the lore of the world in some way. Um, at, at the very least, um, gosh, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I read, I read this question in advance, so I probably should have thought about it more. But um, <clears throat> no, not that I'm not that I'm consciously aware of. But uh, you know, you're a product of your, of your upbringing, so I'm sure that there is. I'm sure there is something in there somewhere, but I'm, I'm certainly not aware of it. Um, what dark gods did you swear fealty to so that you would gain the ability to do so many accents? Uh, if it exists beyond space and time uh, and is a formless horror, I have made a bargain with it. Uh, I have made so many bargains, I lose track of them. When I die, uh, there will be a battle over my soul uh, to uh, attempt to drag me to the various hells. Uh, that is how you. That is how you do accents. Um, people will tell you that you have key phrases and that you listen to accents and you practice a lot. That's all bullshit. You just gotta just sell yourself. It's way easier. Uh, where is all that dank biddledum art? It's a good question. Send biddledum art uh, to the podcast account at for CNG Podcast or me at Mr K underscore Bennett. Uh, send me any fan art and I will send you something cool. I promise. That's you can hold me to that. Uh, how far ahead do you write for the story? Good bloody question. Uh, I write pretty far ahead for the story. Not massively far ahead, but still uh, far enough ahead that I kind of have an idea of how the season's going to end and what is going to happen in the next couple seasons. Um, I, I mentioned uh, in the previous episode that I sort of had ideas for, you know, going up to like a, a season seven kind of thing. Um, so, th so that's you know often i like to sit down well not often but you know occasionally i like to sit down um and just sort of look at like where we're going and what it is that we're doing and you know because of scheduling or or whatever um you know certain things might happen we might have to do like another bonus episode or another side episode or, or something like that um and so you know new elements have been introduced to the story and so you know i sometimes like to sit down and um sort of re kind of rejig uh, some of the things that are that are going on in the story so that everything kind of lines up or, or at least uh, is pretty close to to lining up um but uh, as to whether you know do i have an idea as to like this and this and this and this and this is going to happen in the next four episodes eh, nah i kind of have an idea like a, we have like a little spreadsheet where it's sort of like yeah i reckon this episode and this episode are going to be about this and this one's going to be about that um 
but I mean, on the whole, it's it's fairly it's fairly loose. Uh, you know, I have an idea of what the destination is, but I'm fairly flexible on what the journey is. Um, just because you know, you never really know a hundred percent what your players are going to do, um, or how long something will take, or if they're going to take something in a really unexpected direction, um, or you know, I mean, yeah, they may refuse to do something entirely, um, or or, or whatever. Um, so you know, I always kind of try and keep in mind where the story is actually going um but as to how it actually gets there a little more flexible uh, on that um but that said uh i do like to write fairly far in advance to you know to know to know where everything's going i hope that made sense i feel like i went around in circles a couple of times there uh i'd love to know how much you guys plan for and how much you actually edit out and if there were one day be a behind the scenes episode uh to answer the second part of that question no there will not be a behind the scenes episode because it would just be like you know two hours of us sitting at a google hangouts call cursing out our internet um which would be super boring um uh how much do we plan for i just kind of talked about that uh unless of course you mean like actually physically how much do we plan for like in terms of uh you know how far ahead are we going to be recording and and that sort of thing um we normally try and sort of sort out like every couple of weeks what we're going to be doing but you know everyone works shit jobs so uh it's a little difficult to to plan too far ahead in advance um and how much do we actually edit out a fair bit to be honest um mainly because we're playing online um and there's you get a lot of awkward pauses from playing online um because you know you have you have delay and things like that in your uh, in your video call um so you know a lot of that stuff is cut out um we have actually had episodes where you know the end of the episode is is not very good so we'll just cut it off entirely and just basically re-splice the whole thing together um there was actually uh when we did the second episode with mumford i believe um and they talked to uh the sphinx ball bearing and they go down into the uh, you know the, the temple underground or, or whatever that was um very knowledgeable about my own story um uh the first time we actually re-recorded that bit twice um and there was a bit you know they they go down the stairs and there's the the ropes hanging over the pit of spikes and um that whole bit i i, we, I, I have no idea why but for some reason just the the energy you know it really changed um and so that whole kind of piece was just really not very interesting not very funny uh and it was just kind of awkward and so we just sort of finished the episode on like a real not great note so when we went to edit it or when our editor joshua went to, to edit it i was like listen just this is really bad um just take it out just 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 take it out entirely and just put the ending on at this point um so there's you know a good like 10 15 minutes of, of that episode that will never see the light of day um and you know occasionally we'll we'll, we'll cut we'll cut jokes out and we'll cut um you know sort of pieces of conversations out just because you know maybe like the maybe the jokes aren't really that appropriate um or you know maybe the conversation flows better without whatever is cut out um because i mean you know as much as we like to give that uh you know that that tabletop feel um where it's like you know you're, you're playing with us or, or or however you choose to describe it um ultimately our goal is to uh present a good coherent story um and you know sometimes sometimes you gotta cut out a lot of stuff uh, to do that um but you know hopefully no one ever notices um when we when we cut big chunks of stuff out hopefully it all just sounds very 
very smooth, very natural. Um, where's the next question? Uh, how did you come up with and how, uh, I really fucked that one up. How did you come up with how you wanted the gods to sound and how was your voice altered? Uh, how did I come up with how I wanted the gods to sound? Uh, I would normally just send a description to Joshua and be like, Hey, this is what the God is. This is kind of what they look like. This is what I reckon the voice should sort of sound like, you know, it should sound majestic and echoey and, you know, powerful and things like that. Or, you know, she's got three heads and there should be sort of like two voices really just like conflicting with the main one and, um, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and how is the voice altered? I have no idea. I do not, I don't do that part. I, I have honestly no idea how, how it gets altered. Um, I assume uh, pitch pitch shifting. Yeah, let's go with that. It's, I, that sounds good. Um, yeah, the, but coming up with how they actually sound is uh, sort of a, a two-step process and that I'm like, hey, this is what I'm thinking for the like how it should sound and I kind of try and describe it based on... Um, uh, you know, based on the personality of the god, um, and then uh, sort of based on like how I think something that you know how I think something that looks like what they look like would sound in real life. Like you know, if it's a if it's a lion with three heads, or if it's a you know giant uh, man made of uh, darkness and stars who lords over dreams, what's that going to sound like? Obviously, you know totally subjective and uh very much open to creative interpretation but um uh you know it, it seems to work as you know joshua kind of picks up what i'm saying and and he uh, and he he alters things uh, and then he's, he'll sort of send it off to me and I'll, and I'll have a look and you know nine times out of ten i'm like yeah sweet this is yeah, this is great i'm i'm happy with that and um occasionally i'll i'll, I'll ask him to make a, a little bit of a, a tweak here and there but but no yeah it seems to it seems to work um da, 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 da. oh this was this was this was a long question i just wanted to i just wanted to like acknowledge that we that we got it uh, but i won't spend uh too much time on it um i'm a pretty new dm i have a group of players who simply ignore the fact that there is a goblin army amassing and a dragon roaring from the direction of said army they also destroyed a town so terribly that it caused the death of a pc they did not like that their actions had consequences. Two of the characters only ever go hunting for pets or owlbears, while the other two, one of them new, are busy playing house with the orphan that they found. Is my hook not good enough? Am I just a garbage DM? Um, no, no, no. You're you're not a garbage DM. Those are those are good hooks. Um, I mean they're not wildly original, but they're good hooks. Um, uh, it sounds like your players uh kind of blow ass. Um, I, I mean I don't I don't know them, so you know I wouldn't I wouldn't make such uh strong judgments so quickly but um there i mean there is a certain uh shall we say social contract that comes into play when you play D D or any tabletop role-playing game especially one involving some kind of game master and players um where you know the implication is that hey i'm gonna set up this story for you and you're gonna trust me to run the game well and you're gonna trust me to uh, have everything ready and to be fair by the rules that we have agreed to and to run the game in an enjoyable fashion and then equally on the player side it's hey we're not going to fuck you over <laughs> and ignore everything that you've done and just do whatever hell we wanted to do because you know once you know uh, there there is there is something to be said for character motivation and uh dm player communication and i'll, I'll talk about that in just a second but 
Um, when you, as a player or as a group of players, uh, are deviating so heavily from what your dungeon master has obviously um, has obviously planned, uh, the question does have to be begged: Why do you have a dungeon master then, or why do you have a game master, or, or whatever the hell you want to call it? Um, if you are so determined to do, uh, you know, uh, uh, what was it, uh, hunting for pets and owlbears, uh, or playing house with an orphan, uh, if that is what you are so determined to do, um, why why do you have a dungeon master uh, if there if, if that dungeon master is not uh, running that and you're just doing this by yourself? Why why do you have a dungeon master? Why are you playing Dungeons and Dragons? Why are you playing Call of Cthulhu or, or whatever? Um, why aren't you just you know? playing pretend amongst the the four of you um but equally you know obviously you uh you should be having this conversation with your players uh and your dungeon master at some point where uh wherein you establish uh what what tone of game you're going to have what sort of kind of game you're going to be having what's it about uh that sort of thing you know it, it's it would be very unfortunate to sit down with a group of, uh, you know, new and veteran players who are really keen to play something, um, uh, you know, not necessarily silly, but they're looking to play something a bit lighthearted. They want to they wanna slay some orcs and they want to, uh, you know, fuck about and buy some uh, grain or whatever. You know, that's that's what that's what they're keen. That's what they're keen about, you know, and uh, they're probably going to be mightily disappointed when they sit down at your game. Uh, and it turns out that you've written um, a bodice-ripping political thriller based around the export of cheese. Um, you know, you, you may have put in all this work and there is obviously an expectation that your players are going to engage with what you've written. They're going to at least mildly respect it. But if you have that kind of massive disconnect um, uh, between player expectations and DM intentions, uh, then, uh, you know, kind of a recipe for, not disaster, but uh, certainly a recipe for mild unhappiness and and uh, you know in in this case uh, a recipe for um an unhappy dm and and players who aren't really engaging with uh, with what's been put in front of them um in this particular instance without really knowing anything else about the players or the dm or or what their kind of tabletop situation is my instinct obviously as a dm is to say that your players suck um <laughs> Uh, but uh, I'm not saying that they are personally bad. I'm saying they're not being good players. Um, but, you know, I, I'm not often a player, so I don't have a lot of perspective uh, from that point. Uh, so, uh, you know, by all means, if, if you have a, an extra perspective on this as a player, please reach out to me uh, at CNG Podcast at Mr. K underscore Bennett. Let me know. Um, you know what would what, what would you what do you do in this particular instance if you were if you were the DM or you know how like what would what would lead you to do this if you were a player? Um, I'm curious, but yeah. So so that was that was that was that question. Um, I did actually talk about that for a little while. Um, all right, I think that's pretty much it for all the other questions. So let's get into these world questions. These are these are the big ones. <clears throat> so. What inspired you in creating the epic lore of the gods of Iannis? Love this question. So uh, the primary thing that uh, inspired uh, all of the gods and their various uh, shenanigans, shall we say, uh, was primarily uh, the sort of Greek and Roman gods. Um, 
and another thing, but we'll get to that in just a second. Uh, so primarily the Greek and Roman gods, because I always really enjoyed uh, the sort of myths and legends of, of that kind of uh, area, uh, just, just from like a, a general kind of interest uh, uh, perspective. Um, but also I always really enjoyed the idea that... Um, you know uh, that there was that there was a king and you know his daughter was uh turned into a swan by a god and but she still gave birth to a man and then that man was half swan half man and you know instead of being a uh sort of rather weird allegory for something uh instead it was true um and i always enjoyed the idea that um and i don't honestly really know why uh i always really enjoyed the idea that you know watching over a fantasy land is uh, a pantheon of gods that's always a it's always a piece of always a fantasy trope that i'm really into uh you know you have this this mighty land and you know it's watched over by a pantheon of of all powerful uh gods um not necessarily you know the, the sort that are really involved or anything like that but just you know as long as long as they're there i'm 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 cool um so yeah so i was i was very much inspired by the by the greek and roman gods and and that sort of um i guess aesthetic of uh you know uh like a a a snake bit someone on the arm and then the venom from that spilled upon the ground and you know a tree burst out of that and growing from that tree was a poison apple and a woman bit it and she falls into a coma for 90 days and then blooming from her is a baby and the baby is half snake or something because i mean it's just it's so it's so ridiculous it's just so ridiculous but it's it's the kind of thing where it's like you know the the uh, i guess like the the it's not that the truth is stranger than fiction it's that the fiction is already pretty strange and it also happens to be the truth as well um uh, and I would say the other thing that really inspired it and definitely uh, a, a thing a thing that is um really influenced me uh especially in terms of creating things and uh, creating fantasy and things like that would be uh, the Belgariad uh book series by David Eddings um which I read oh my god so many years ago at this point uh, a very very long time ago it's been a very long time since i since i read them but um when i was younger uh they were you know as the kids say they were my jam uh and i think i might have read them about five or six times uh at, at this point um and then the the malorian which is the the series after i think i've read those about four or five times as well but a big feature of that of that fantasy world was that there was this pantheon of gods that uh existed on the world and then after a disaster uh had to leave the world so you know there's a few parallels here that i i inadvertently created um but uh but yeah so this this pantheon of gods you know they were all very different and they all had their own uh distinct personalities uh and their own kind of desires and squabbles and um uh, you know, it, it, I don't think it was necessarily that the gods were, you know, the gods were human and that they were, um, you know, relatable or anything like that. It was just that they were they were interesting. They were they were interesting uh, compared to you know uh, other fantasy settings where you know the the systems of religion and the kind of beliefs around that were very well defined. You know, the people people worshipped the god of commerce and travel, and you know uh, they had gods of creation and and, and things like that. Um, but the gods, you know, were maybe not you know they weren't particularly extra to to, to really just um bust out a, a weird phrase but um 
just you know having having gods that are uh char- that are characters in of themselves that are that are uh you know wild kind of extensions of the of the people below i i've always found very um i've always found very appealing you know quite often when i'm looking up a new fantasy setting um or just kind of reading about a fantasy setting i will go and look up like all the different all the different gods um because i think um i don't know i find that to be like just a, a very interesting uh, a very interesting part of of any sort of fantasy world uh creation um and i always get kind of sad when it's just like yeah there's like you know 12 gods or whatever and this is what all their names are and this is what they're um you know this is what they're in charge of and i'm like no no but like who have they killed what have they you know what have they had sex with and that sort of thing um because you know like that's that's the messy shit that, that you want um and you know uh, when you when you look at myths and legends and stuff from from real human from real human cultures um on the whole you know the a lot of the myth and legends about gods and things like that they're normally pretty fucked up um which you know again also something that inspired um, <laughs> inspired creating some of the lore um which was uh, uh uh actually something that i recommended to a couple of people like oh god like a year ago or something like that and they were trying to come up with something and i said oh you know just um just just take take what's normally done and just make it a little fucked up um you know just just make it a little just make it a little weird um not for any particular reason but just to make it just to make it a bit different just to just to you know just to to get outside of the outside of the mold but uh yeah so i'll carry it i'll, I'll, con- I'll continue on we, I, can, I can get back to that i can talk about that question for for hours but we'll continue on uh are orcs and goblinoids accepted in cities no no they are not uh in the slightest uh they are most often just shot on sight or they are uh driven away uh orcs and goblinoids and those sorts of races uh committed great crimes uh during the second great war and they are ostracized from mainstream civilization there there is uh no there is there is no there's no acceptance for them at all uh is the dwarven pilgrimage limited to men or is everyone in dwarven society eligible to go on one uh everyone is eligible to go on one uh everyone can take their pilgrimage and attempt to uh sort of receive a, a forge vision and kind of find themselves and and bring something back to the uh bring something back to the hill fast um not everybody does uh i oh god did i say that everybody goes on a, on a pilgrimage that's a good bloody question that's what happens when you write law from like two years ago i'm trying to written down here um yeah no i don't actually hmm interesting um yeah no i i i, I it's uh yeah it's a <laughs> guys what happens when you write when you when you write lore into like old ass episode plans so don't do that kids um yeah no the everyone is eligible to to take the pilgrimage if if they want there there is no real difference between men or women in dwarven society or in any other society because honestly sexism is very boring and i do not wish to have it in my fantasy world uh do the broken chains fear magic or do they fear oppression and wish to contain the magic interesting question feel like i need to expand on them a little more uh the broken chains are kind of governed by the idea or i not really the idea the fear the presumption the uh worry i guess that uh because korthar god of 
the Forge and Dwarves, was created by Eambulus, the god of knowledge and magic, uh, as a way to assist him in his uh, sort of multiverse, or not multiverse, assist him in his universe kind of research, um, uh, that any kind of magic that is passed down uh, to dwarves uh, is... Uh, just merely an extension of Eambulus trying to place his will upon Korthar and by extension uh, the the dwarven people so you know this this magic uh, I mean I guess you could say they're afraid of it but it's it's more of like you know the the magic is another way for Eambulus to get his hands on Korthar and the dwarves so therefore you must join the broken chains and you must learn to control yourself control your magic and channel it into uh you know into uh the in, into the good of the dwarven people kind of thing um uh and try and break free from the idea that uh magic is inherently tied to eambulus i mean it is tied to eambulus it's it's literally his his divine his divine domain but um, you know, so that that's that's very much what they're what they're kind of going for there. They're they're trying to break the chains of Eambulus. So I suppose they are. Uh, I suppose they are afraid of magic, but not not in that you know they fear it and they want to kind of shove it away forever. But they're afraid of what it may potentially represent. Um, uh, but they no, but no, they, they they don't fear oppression and want to contain their magic. A dwarven society is suspicious of magic, but it's not you know it's not uh it's not hateful towards it or, or anything like that it's it's kind of a it's kind of a family shame I, I guess more than than anything else uh are there demigods in the Annis? if so are there many or are there a few there are none whatsoever they do not exist uh apart from the mainland are there unexplored islands far out to sea uh yes so uh, an area of the world that we have not explored at all uh is uh further south um fro fro god so past uh cantilia so further south from there the the, the bottom mountains uh where cranoth is past that is the gorge lands which is uh sort of the the tail pale southern end of the the continent uh, and past that is uh the remains of uh new sildan and the island em- uh, sorry sildan and the island empire of new herzan uh which is two large kingdoms that once existed and were blown apart by Jirdar forcing his way through the crust of the earth. Uh, so all in through there is what's known as the Shattered Sea, which is just um, island after island and uh, just sort of collections of things and you know wild magic and unpredictable chaotic uh, energies and you know portals to other worlds and horrific monsters and you know it's a, a changing and horrible place uh, and so you know plenty of islands out there um, uh, as to you know are there unexplored islands further out to the west or the east or, or even uh, further north past the northern mountains that's a good bloody question maybe one day we'll find out the answer to that but not right now <laughs> uh if demons were the first soldiers created of the gods and this is written in texts as the priest told mordai uh why do so many people think they are not of the gods is it that they do not want to be associated with creatures they view inherently as evil mm, slight misconception there the priest is basically spouting heresy uh, by saying that uh, demons were the uh, first soldiers created of the gods, and so therefore they are of the gods, and therefore tieflings are of the gods, this is not this is not a popular 
is not a popular opinion. It's not accepted dogma. Uh, demons are, you know, according to the popular kind of uh, theory, the popular uh, belief, demons are not of the gods at all. They're uh, the gods would never employ such horrific soldiers uh, to to achieve any kind of ends whatsoever. They they have their own they have their own people. Uh, they have their own you know creatures that they created before they came to Ianus, and then once they came to Ianus, they had their their kind of their 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 people that they created there. So why would they why would they ever need to use demons? So essentially, that priest was was telling Mordai uh, you know the the truth. Um, as far as he was concerned, uh, but it, it was not, or is not rather, uh, an accepted uh, an accepted piece of truth, uh, which is why at the end of that particular bonus episode, you may have heard uh, a certain professor being uh, dragged away. Um, uh, by the way, listen to them. By the way, listen to the bonus episodes because um, they are actually important. Um, why do? Uh, sorry, no. Do dragonborns have small settlements? Are they treated as poorly as tieflings? Good question. Do ordinary people fear magic? No, not particularly. Uh, magic is, you know, it's not, I wouldn't say it's an everyday part of uh, part of people's lives. Uh, I wouldn't say it's like, you know, you can just pop down to the magic dairy and pick up some uh, magic milk or something. Uh, but certainly it is a common enough occurrence in the wild or a common enough occurrence, you know, in a city, uh, that no one's going to be particularly blown away by magic. Um, you know, if, if someone busts out a bit of prestidigitation, it, you know, it's, it, it's still cool. Um, but it's certainly not like, uh, a sort of, wow, mighty wizard kind of thing. Like, you know, people are aware that there is very powerful magic, uh, in the, in the world. Um, and certainly a lot of the, uh, main, uh, sort of metropolitan hubs, a lot of the larger cities, you know, places like Fernshire and Cranoff and, and, um, uh, some of the dwarven cities as well, you know, the, the hillfasts and things like that. There are many, many things in there uh, created by the dwarves or created by the elves or even created by the gods themselves uh, that are just very powerful magic, uh, but are now sort of, you know, mainstays of the of the of the city. Uh, you know, the 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 stone knights in in Cranoth, which were mentioned in a previous bonus episode. Again, go listen to the bonus episodes. Uh, that is that is incredibly powerful magic that just sort of exists, and and people kind of live with that. Um, so so no no they 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 don't. But um, I would say that people certainly do have a healthy respect of it because obviously if someone can throw a fireball from their fingertips, that's you know it may be something that you're still aware of, but it's still kind of scary. Uh, do tieflings and dragonborn come from another world, like Mumford? Uh, well, tieflings came from demons, uh, as they, uh, shall we say, had relations with, uh, other races in Ianus, and so that was, that's kind of where they came from. Uh, dragonborn, gonna keep that one close to my chest for now. Uh, demon lords generally have powerful hellish domains. Did the gods create these realms for them to house their soldiers in the first war? That's a good question. Do the gods ward away extraplanar travelers from entering Ianus, or do some show up from time to time? Uh, as we saw in the uh, episodes with 
uh, Tim Lanning, the Mordai's Missing Time, it is difficult to travel between worlds. It, it requires a lot of magic or uh, a great deal of, of strength uh, and power. Uh, so, you know, do the do the gods ward away extraplanar travelers? I mean, it's not like they encourage it or make it particularly easy, but, you know, they don't really have to ward away a lot of people because it's very difficult to travel between worlds so you know you could you could actively spend effort on trying to try and ward people away but you know i mean how many are you going to catch in in a in a year barely barely any um you know uh so 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 no no they, they they don't really but uh not not because they don't care but just because you know what's the point it's so difficult anyway the gods play a very active role in Iannis, often granting blessings or curses to those they encounter. Do people worry about encountering gods? Um, good question. I mean, I know that I've said that about every question, but good question. Um, uh, I'm going to say no. Not, not, not particularly no. Uh, because it's... Mm, I'm also going to say yes, though, as well, because, you know, obviously there are some that you would not want to meet. Uh, but equally, there are some who would be very kind, uh, who would be very kind to mortals. Uh, the the gods are, you know, they're they're kind of capricious and they have their own desires and their own goals. And um, obviously, you know, as I hope that we're seeing through the story, they have their own things that they're doing um, and their their own kind of, you know, they got their own plans and they're, that you know might not necessarily have anything to do with Iannis or with mortals. Um, but you know, with with a with a couple of notable exceptions, the gods are not they're not insane. They're not they're not crazy, um, and so they're not. You know, it's not like when they appear, they're um, they're just going to start smiting humans left and right. Um, which to go back to the very first question uh, in this world section, uh, talking about the Greek and Roman gods, that was always kind of something that that kind of bothered me just a, a little a little tiny bit about about the the, the gods um, with, with how uh, I guess I guess how cruel. How cruel they were. Um, I, I'm not saying that the gods in this particular world are perfect by any stretch of the imagination. They are certainly not. Um, but you know, it, it's not like if you were uh, in the deepest, darkest forests and you stumbled upon, you know, Sarnea and she was sort of prancing with her with the Fae court or or something like that. Um, you know, it's not like she's just going to immediately turn to and say, "Oh, you, you know, you've seen my godly form, smite and just immediately kill you or anything like that." Um, but you know, you may walk away with uh, with with deer ears on your head because you know, maybe she feels like maybe she feels like doing that. Um, but no, I, I wouldn't say it's a, a frequent enough occurrence or a dangerous enough occurrence to warrant uh, a huge amount of worry. Um, but again, obviously, there are some that you would not want to encounter uh, even once in your life. Um, I believe, I believe that's actually all the questions. I got through that a lot faster than I thought I would, actually. Huh. Well, well, well. All right. Um, yeah. So thanks again to everyone who submitted those questions. I enjoyed answering those. Uh, if you have any more questions, um, feel free to just email us or, or tweet at us. Um, uh, you know, that's that would be fun. Um, we'll be back hopefully next week with the with the next episode, like in the main in the main storyline. But if we're not, uh, it will be like a, a side thing, um, just because a couple of us are working on some you know, boring real life work projects. So, you know, time is a bit of a, a precious commodity at the moment. 
um, and especially with Nick moving to Australia, it's a little a little more difficult. So um, yeah, so bear with, as they say. Um, if you have any more questions, you can find us on Twitter. We are at for CNG Podcast. I am at Mr K underscore Bennett, and you can also find us on Facebook. We are under uh, for Crits and Giggles, and of course, you can find us on iTunes uh, and actually also Stitcher. Now that I think about it, um, I think I forget to say that all the time. Um, you can find us on. Uh, yeah, you can find us on iTunes and find us on Stitcher. In both places, you can leave us a five-star rating and review, which we uh, always uh, we always appreciate. Um, and I guess all I can think about is the various places that you can find us now, like Google Play and and SoundCloud, and I think you can you can even find us on Alexa. Like if you if you say to your Alexa, you know, Alexa, play for bits and giggles. I think that might I think that might work. Um, now that I think about it, um, but anyway uh yeah so thanks again to everyone who submitted questions hope you guys enjoyed uh, our two q a's hope you also enjoyed uh the stagger of borstov and rat i certainly certainly enjoyed playing that uh yeah and until next time uh stay safe make sure you drink plenty of water before you go to bed so you don't wake up dehydrated and may all your hits be crits <laughs>